Hello, hello. Welcome to episode five of Making a Marketer. I am Megan Powers uh, at Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. And I'm the host of the Making Marketer podcast. And this is our mid-month shorter show. Sponsors, which are Polycom, TRPM, Zoom, and Sonic Foundry Media Site. So we're coming to you live today, as you can see on Facebook. So for those of you who are listening to the podcast or to the replay, uh, this is our. We'll be pulling the audio for the podcast from this live broadcast. And our guests today on our um, fifth episode are Nick Borelli of Borelli Strategies and Alex Plaxen with Little Bird Told Media. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> I like to say too how I know um, people before I introduce, uh, give you your kind of fuller or whatever longer intro. Um, Alex, I I met you at MPI WC San Francisco, right? Correct. We became fast friends. We spent a lot of time together, including rendezvous. <laughs> one of the most fun rendezvous ever um, with the Spasmatics, who we got to meet. That was super fun. And then Nick and I met online via uh, my client Event Collab's Twitter account, but he didn't know because you don't know the person behind the account. And I saw him uh, at IMAX a couple years ago uh, at the Scotch Tasting, which was lovely. One of the only (laughs) – so much alcohol at the IMAX show. It's hilarious, All right, the the lure that they need to uh, get people to their spaces, I guess, right? Um, anyway, it was just funny because I totally recognized him. Talk about branding. You know, I was like, oh, Nick, I even had his purple shirt on. I was like, hey, I know you. And he didn't know me. But anyway, here we are. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's probably like my third or fourth time having you on a guest on one of my shows. That sounds right. Yeah, I, uh, I I make it a point to stop at the Visit Scotland booth at either IBTM or IMAX or their, their uh, private party because uh, it, it's a great place to host an event. But I love scotch. That's really my primary reason. Yeah. Well, and they're so nice. They're just lovely. I just so nice. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So Nick is an event marketing consultant, um, providing event props with strategies to market their events, which is um, awesome, right? Because that's what we're talking about today. How appropriate. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, their events more successfully, I should say, I should qualify that. And he's also a frequent speaker of the industry, as is. Alex Plaxen, as of late, Alex is passionate about using social media to amplify the reach of events. Little Bird Told Media's tagline is actually where online meets offline, which is one of my big passions and what I did my master's thesis on and what I talked about at IMAX last week. So um, we are we are kindred spirits. So I'm going to start with Alex, and I, I like to let guests explain um, in their own words, what do you do? Who are you? Starting with me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because it's constantly changing. Uh, my business is uh, coming up on two years old. And uh, primarily, we work with uh, associations, corporations, nonprofits, 
uh, developing social media strategy for their events and uh, typically either training them to implement those strategies or implementing them ourselves. Um, but as of this past year, I've also been speaking a lot and educating. And one of the things I'm developing right now is a crisis communications course for training event professionals how to handle uh, a crisis while using social media. So it's, it's always evolving. Social media is always changing. So there's always new needs in the industry that I'm trying to fill. For sure. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit with Madeline Sklar on, um, on our last episode, um, the whole situation in Vegas and all of that and how it's really illuminated how important it is to have, to have that plan. So that's awesome that you're developing that. Um, I'm sure that a lot of groups are going to be interested in it. I'm already seeing a lot of chatter on, on Facebook about meetings that people are having and board boards that are getting together and talking about the need and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, so that's awesome. So welcome. Thanks for uh, being on today. And of course. yeah. So Mr. Borelli, what about you in your words? What do you do? Who are you? <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I, I work on marketing uh, strategies for both events and event suppliers uh, or planners, really anyone who's in the events industry or the events themselves. Everything really centers around the attendee, uh, regardless of what your role is in an event, if you're the brand of the event itself or uh, if you're someone who's supplying things that benefit the attendee. So that's my focus at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I'm, I will not implement your marketing. I, I refuse. I've, it doesn't scale. It, I get bored really easy. I come in, I solve a problem. I teach people how to fish and then hopefully you never need me again. Or if you just need someone to uh, answer questions at a, at a, you know, when you have a fork in the road, then I can be a, a value there. But other than that, uh, I just like solving problems and enabling other people to uh, get on with what they really love to do, which is uh, producing live experiences. Right. That's great. Yeah. And I know Alex and I are both sort of a, uh... We'll do we'll do both. I don't mind getting in the weeds. It's fun, but I do enjoy the the strategy side and really um, that's that's exciting to me when I get to do that and get um, get into the the how and why people are doing what they're doing and trying to help them do it better. So my first question uh, is uh, I just I'd like to know from you guys like this sounds silly, but what do you think event marketing is? in terms of, um, I just a general, any way you want to answer it, just, I think there's maybe some different ideas out there about what, what event marketing is. Alex, what do you think? So it's interesting only because the way that I look at a lot of events is as a marketing piece itself. So you're essentially marketing a marketing piece, which gets a little inception-y, but, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> You know, for for a lot of companies, a lot of associations, corporations, this face-to-face interaction is the only time that their members or um, their um, customers get to actually interact with the brand in person. So a lot of times it's it's really brand management and kind of setting expectations um, for what you can expect when you actually get to interact with that brand face-to-face. So a lot of times when I'm developing a strategy with my clients, what we try to focus on is setting those expectations pre-conference or pre-event 
for what they're actually going to experience face to face. Right. Good. Uh, and Nick, what do you, what about you? That's a good answer. Uh, for me, it's, uh, it's both marketing and communication. So it's more calm. Uh, I think some people skip the communications element of it and the conversations that happen uh, and curated within the event itself. So I think that's usually the, the area that I see the biggest drop in the ball happening is, you know, you get some people there and then you just turn your marketing off for nine months or whatever it is. Uh, so I, I see it as more calm. And I also I see primarily uh, it as an extension of servicing a community uh, or on the events that are smarter uh it's servicing multiple communities for multiple reasons so it's not just how do i trick people out of money and uh, from their pocket to go and buy a ticket but how do i listen to what people want because uh, marketers are actually really really amazing listeners and if they have the ability to uh not be in a silo you know that's that's my biggest gripe as far as what it isn't and what i think it should be is uh, oftentimes events are, are created and they're dropped in the laps, completely done uh, of marketing and say, okay, here's a product, sell it, versus let's be collaborative, let's have marketing uh, service it. So I guess my short answer is it's Marcom uh, that services a community. Nice, yeah, so I think that there's also, um, and I feel like I've talked with you guys about this before, uh, a little bit, the um, a divide between marketing within an organization and marketing the event, and sometimes getting those two to work hand in hand um, is is something that an organization really needs to to work on. And involving the planners, right, the team that's planning the event, they should all be working together, and it should be a year round thing for sure. Yeah, like set it and forget it does not work with with marketing because you may just be marketing the event, but you're marketing your brand, whether it's an association or a corporation, it's still, you're still in addition to marketing the event, you're marketing the brand. And by virtue of that, your, your products and your people and all that kind of good stuff. So I like what those answers. I mean, we, we're of the organism. We are both the mouth and the ears. Uh, and to not have either of those uh, uh, senses engaging you know the brain is silly for sure for sure so um what conference and it, it can be industry or outside the industry what conference do you think does the overall best job uh with their marketing from start to finish and why i'll let i'll let nick go first this time well, i i just you just cut off uh alex's answers by uh me no i heard jim saying you, you, you heard Alex because I'm going to say the two that he would probably say. So um, I'll pick I'll pick one of those two maybe, and then you can do the other. Uh, so Dreamforce um, is exceptional. Uh, everything is on brand. Everything has been thought out months in advance to the degree that there's collateral created for the the day's temperature um, in order, and that where it's modular, and they just add the the number in there uh so it's a branded awesome piece of collateral that is consistent with the branding for the uh, the show that year and they just drop the number in and that that's posted in the morning when you wake up every uh part of the experience of of being there has been uh done in advance and not on the fly 
uh, and leading up to it, it feels like the same experience. So that's one. The other one I'll let Alex speak to maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but you were there. So that if, if you were to pick that one, that would be the other one. I, I know what it's going to be too. So that's cool. <laughs> Go Alex. <laughs> so as I'm sure, no surprise, uh, inbound, which is HubSpot's uh, user conference. And I call it their user conference because that's what it started as, but it's really become more of its own uh, kind of marketing conference just in general. Um, a lot of their content and a lot of what happens has nothing to do with uh, HubSpot. In fact, this year their uh, on-site kind of branding really distanced themselves from HubSpot. Um, but they do a really good job before the conference of communicating with you by email, communicating with you on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatever platform you're on, they're going to be there. Uh, Snapchat as well. Um, but what I find they're really successful at is incorporating elements of their marketing of the conference into the actual conference. So for example, their education, they record it, they'll post videos, um, but they'll also interview speakers and have them in a studio um, speakers that are going to actually be on site. And these are famous, well-known people. And then they promote those interviews prior to ever being on site. And you're like, I want more of this. This 10 minute interview is not enough. Um, and then they actually record some of those interviews that they, they use year round on site at the conference. And you can sit there in the audience and watch. So they do a really good job of just incorporating everything that they do into every element throughout the entire year. So it doesn't feel like the event is just a one-off three-day event. It really does feel like there are elements of it that you can always access. Right, which is so smart because then that keeps, that keeps it front of mind and is going to make people want to go back, right? And make people who weren't there have that that FOMO, that, that fear of missing out and, you know, wanting to potentially go the next year, which is uh, for me, the biggest part of the on-site marketing is that creating the buzz so that people will come again um, the next year. Um, awesome. Okay. So I, you are, I think you both already kind of talked a little bit about this, but I'm curious um, and I'll start. I'll start with Alex since I know that this is something that um, that you get involved with. That um, in terms of being involved with working with clients um, on the pre-marketing of events, mm -hmm. I know that you create the pre, the show, and the post, right? Because it shouldn't just be about being on site. Um, in terms of helping them with their strategy and their content and whatnot, um, what do you think is the one big thing that marketers can do in advance of a show to get more butts in the seats? Hmm. To get more butts and seats. <laughs> That's always uh, the, the interesting thing is when I talk to my clients about what their goals are, um, that one rarely comes up and I'm like, okay, that's interesting that you're so confident <laughs> that you're going to have people anyway. Um, a lot of times they're talking about engagement and ways to um, kind of extend their marketing throughout the entire year. Um, but they're always like, we want more followers on social media. And I'm like, okay, 
that's 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 not really a goal <laughs> like what do you want them to do offline obviously you want them to come to your event like following you on twitter is not going to get them to come to your event um and it's really that one-on-one um interaction um that they're missing um and that is usually actually the most effective um is paying attention monitoring how you respond to someone who's interested in your show i have taken on clients and i've you know gotten access to their social media and i discovered these messages from their um members or followers on these social media platforms that are months and months old and i'm like are you guys not even checking this stuff they're like we didn't even know how to access it um we just going to so, have staff de- dedicated they, they just don't know. And, uh, and that response rate is really, really important. Um, making someone feel special and unique and that they matter is really important when you're talking about getting, you know, a butt in a seat. The other thing that's, I find really effective is when you, um, take a look at the data a lot of these events track what sessions their attendees go to and then don't use that data at all. And I'm like, you've got these different tracks with different types of education. The second that you find out who the speakers are this year on that track, you need to send a personalized email to those people who attended those sessions last year, letting them know the new topics this year, the speakers who are coming back, the new speakers who are coming, who they might be interested in and really personalize and be like, we know you went to this session last year and that your survey results were great. Guess what? We're bringing that person back or we have a great new topic, you know, part two of that session and no one, no one does it. No, I know. I don't ever get, I don't ever get followed up with for, I mean, I, I I taught a session the other day um, on event technology and, uh, I showed them like the seven icons on my desktop for the, all the apps from the events that I attended. And, uh, and yeah, and no, none, none of them, none have ever engaged with me on that, on that level. And it's, if you're, yeah, it seems like it should be pretty easy to do. The technology is there. The data is there. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Well, so, that's an interesting answer to a, a, with a non kind of an non answer since they're not really concerned with getting attendees there. I, I get mean, those ones. They're 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 more concerned with vanity metrics than they are with actual attendance. I wonder how their bosses feel about that. <laughs> uh, that's well, a great question. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I think that it, I know on the association level, there's there can be. Um, Complacency might be too harsh a word, but I deal with it. Yeah, I mean that they they just figure our members are going to come, so maybe they don't have to work very hard for it. But that's interesting too because there is a lot of competition now between different kinds of associations. Perhaps just no association. Like that's that's the competition is just the lack of of necessity for an association. Well, unless they show value. Yes. Well, and the whole, because so much is accessible online right now, all the education and YouTube videos, and there's so much. Um, so that's why really 
personalizing and making and, and showing that value of the face to face. Because that's why we meet, right? Like we, we meet to get education, but more than anything, people will tell you they they're there because their boss said they could go get educated, but they're there because they want to network and meet people and have those um, face-to-face experiences and that go along with everything else. So Nick, what about I mean, you? Uh, yeah. Attendance is, is Jeff is really one of my main focuses. And for me, it's, uh, I don't think that there is one reason why people attend events. I think that there's five or six and I think people are not built the same. And I think that having communication strategies and messaging that is based on your attendee is very lazy and it doesn't really ring true because uh, in when you're trying to talk to everyone, you end up talking to no one. So I do a lot of my initial work on strategies is first trying to determine if it, that what the attendee personas are in order to serve those communities differently. For instance, there's plenty of people, even the previous week at IMAX, who didn't engage in any sort of uh, uh, education at, any, in it at all. In fact, I, had a, I was at a PCMA meeting today and they said, oh, I didn't have a chance to do any education. Fine, that's valid. They were there for meetings or kick the tires. Meanwhile, there's B2B people there. They're just bumping around with 500 business cards in their pockets. And really, they're just trying to actually sell their wares. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I suppose, valid. But there's there's a lot of valid reasons. But you have to understand who is going, why they're going, what turns them on, and segment everything. You know, Segment your emails, segment your messaging on social, segment your uh, sponsorship segment, the influencers you use, just it's very difficult to try the same thing harder or more and expect more results versus do different things simultaneous and get a little bit from everyone. That's a much, much easier way to actually grow an event. Right. Yeah. And IMAX is an interesting one because it's, uh, it's, it's billed as a trade show. It's not billed as a conference, an educational conference. The education is supplemental. Yeah, um, at best. Yeah, and Alex, you, you didn't, you missed it. Sadly, we we missed you. But uh, the education was all downstairs, the, on the floor right below the exhibit floor, and they had more spaces and there was more education available, but it was separate. And a lot of hosted buyers who are running from meeting to meeting. I uh, didn't even realize it was down there. And so I think some potentially some attendees who might have attended education had it been right there and easy for them to get to between appointments. Um, and there, it might have been kind of a different story. I also and I gave this feedback in my my survey. They had all these signs saying that there was a food court down there because they did a really nice job, actually, with the seating and the lunch and everything. But there was no signs that there was education downstairs. Yeah. Uh, well, to be fair, that's a great marketing trick. If you're going to bring anybody anywhere, you know, there's not a concise statement about food, you know, that, that, that'll drive people. But I, I agree. I usually see these exhibitions uh, with, you know, with where it's 99% exhibition, uh, where there happens to be education as a tactic in order to keep people on the show floor and keep people in the building. Uh, what was an interesting angle to this year was to have that and yet have it be separate. Um, my feeling, oh, first off, I love the fact that at, like the positive spin of it is they were really this year, 
I think they were really trying different things and, and shaking up a system that I think already works. So that's, uh, you know, I, I always like when people make that move because it's, it's progressive. But I, I do believe that uh, the, the segmentation of it meant the only people who were there were people who already were invested in the app and scheduled uh, their time accordingly. Uh, at least anecdotally, the people that came to see me speak, they, they were people that planned on it and knew they were going to be there. So while the numbers, I have no idea about this one, like the numbers could have been down. I bet the quality of, and it, they have to measure this, the quality of the impact on the experience was probably pretty good because those people really wanted to be there. You know, it wasn't just like uh, a good example is like a stand-up comic. Um, there's the, there's just the ones that are by bars and people drink and just happen to what's over there. There's a guy telling jokes. That those crowds are tough crowds, you know. You have to win them over, versus your uh, uh, crowds where it's like alt comedy, you know, especially you know, like where there's a big following. Everyone's there, loves that person already. It's going to be a good time. Uh, it's just a different kind of uh, experience. So I don't know. I, they have to measure for there to be any kind of, you know, I guess uh, value. But the interesting thing, though, is I think that their survey fell short a little bit. Cause I, I took surveys for the sessions that I went to and it gave the, like the, the not good, good, very good options for, you know, the type, the speaker quality and did it hit the, you know, uh, the three things that, it, you know, the thing, things that the walk with the takeaways, but there was no, and then it said, what other kind of education can we provide and what else can we do to improve our education? It didn't, it didn't give you an opportunity to say anything specific about that speaker or about the session itself. Yeah, uh, which I found a little. So on one of them, I just wrote it in a thing about the more education, because basically I, every time I'm filling out the survey, I'm not going to rewrite the same thing because I that's such a general question about the show itself that I I totally. wrote it and I was like, well, I'm not going to write that all again. Um, and so I had feedback on a speaker that I just put in that. I said, I know this isn't the place for it, but you didn't give a place for it. So here it is. I mean, look, it's all learning, I guess. Yeah. I, I do. I did find that. You know, again, knowing where education plays in this, you know, I, I, you know, many of us have opportunities to present in a lot of different environments where environment where it's the opposite, where there may be little to no trade show element. And it is about education and it's a completely deeper experience and there's a lot more thought put into it. This one, it's cover your bases, show some trends, some things that change um, and but the focus is on all the investment made in the exhibition. You know, it's just a different show. Right. So Alex, um, have you noticed a change in the last couple of years, how organizations, um, even event industry shows have, are treating social channels during the show? Have you notice a, a trend shift or um, what's your feeling on that? Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to be more strategic about it. I think, Two years ago, everyone just came to the conclusion we have to have a hashtag, whether they wanted it or not, um, and they weren't monitoring it. You know, one of the questions I ask at almost every single session when I speak is, do you monitor your hashtag? And, you know, I've been ramping up my speaking the last year, but I've been speaking for a couple years now, and two years ago... Uh, you'd get a few hands in the room. You get about half the hands in the room now. Um, 
And that doesn't mean they're doing a good job at monitoring the hashtag. Right. Um, but at least they're aware that they should be doing that. Um, you know, I don't have to yell at them and say, you have to do this um, as much as I used to. <laughs> All right. All right. What tool do you recommend? Do you recommend? What right. tool do I recommend? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mention.com is great um, because you can respond within the platform. Um, and you can also see Instagram posts and also any mention um, of the keywords on the internet. So if someone's writing a blog while at your conference or, um, you know, is doing daily um, recaps, things like that, um, you can then share those because you can find them. Um, so it's, it's nice that you can kind of do it all in one place. Uh, Hootsuite, if you're just looking to just watch the feed, is fine. Um, I, I don't recommend it if you want to be responsive. Um, and then if you know you want to schedule things, buffer. I uh, I really like. But for actual monitoring and responding, I think mention uh, has it down. And and they also have a mobile app, which is nice. So that's we have to run around like idiots at events usually too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good, that's kind of a good segue to my question for, for Nick. So I was, as a, as a setup for the question, I was looking around uh, the Twitter account of somebody who's going to be doing a webinar um, coming up soon about event marketing, the before, the during, and the after. Um, and at first I was really impressed by the number of Twitter followers they had over 4,000. And then I noticed that they had only liked 170 something posts. And I went, huh, so are they, what are they doing? So I scrolled down and um, of 35 posts in three weeks time, there were only five likes. Like, oh wait, you mean given to them? Their content had only been engaged with five times. Oh, oh, they bought followers, that's cool. No, 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 this person is not that. But I'm curious. I want to know, and I know the answer, but I want you to tell me. boring. I mean, they could be really boring. See, I think there's a correlation between you only putting out content and not engaging with other people. Yeah. People are going to do that um, with you. So what's it's, your... It's, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, it, it's like reading tea leaves. You know, you can you can really figure out a lot with a couple different numbers, how people are built. Uh, I, I mean, look, there was this like sales guru guy uh, that's been writing sales books since the 80s. Exactly. Uh, dinosaur, too, uh, in, in quotes, but uh, probably has some dinosaur genes. And he's got a, a, a you know, a ton of followers, you know, like 25, 30,000. Uh, and he, he actually never engages with anyone. And he talks about because uh, he's had to adapt his material about marketing and digital and things like that. And he talks about, you know, he's basically cut and pasting things that he overhears on subways talking about uh, engagement. And like every once in a while, I'll just post to him, tweet at him, but you won't engage with this tweet, you know, and no response just because I'm that kind of guy. But it's because offline, he's a celebrity and popular. So it you can have a ton of numbers that way and it doesn't matter. Like you're good in spite of your behavior. Um, but uh, yeah, there's probably, I I don't really care about any numbers other than, uh, deep engagement, you know, conversion style engagement, not just, 
you know, pity little things back and forth. That's cool. And it's, it's not bad. It puts you in the perspective of, of thinking of you top of mind awareness. But what really matters is, are you an important voice in my head? Um, do I give you space? And in that instance, if you're not seeing back and forth, it's because they think of social media like old media. You know, I, I before social media was around and I had a marketing director position, mostly I just designed print ads. You know, I, I, I produced some events for a company in order to bring people in, but there was no communication. You know, you just, you put your thing out and hopefully you got eyeballs. And that mentality is the an old style mentality that doesn't get that rich next level uh, uh, feeling towards a brand that people crave now. So, I mean, I, ultimately, I think that unless you're really, really popular offline as it is, and you want to build up your, your, your case or what you do online, you need to be a participant on social media, not just somebody who just throws things up. Right. No, for sure. Engagement's super important. All right. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end, but I um, just have a couple more questions. I, uh, I guess, Alex, what do you think is that, what are you most excited about in terms of um, emerging trends in event marketing? Is there anything that you've been seeing that you feel like is adding to the mix? Yeah. Uh, Salesforce has some really interesting technology um, as they should. Um, one of them is called Einstein. Um, and what it can do is kind of remarkable. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, it can detect certain things that you post about um, or mention and then target ads at you based on that stuff. Um, so last year at uh, their conference, Dreamforce, um, I did not go, but a friend of mine was working it, and she brought me back a ton of swag. And one of the things she brought me back was a T-shirt. And on the front of it, it said, teamwork makes the dream work, and it was all their cute little mascots. And I was like, yay, awesome T-shirt. So I took a picture. I laid out all the swag she got me, and I took a picture um, and the t-shirt was in that photo, the front of the t-shirt. I didn't wear it for a couple weeks and then finally I wore it and, um, I did my laundry and when I was folding the clean shirt, I realized that there was a big logo on the back of the shirt for a company called, uh, Quip or Quid. I don't even remember, but at that moment I realized for the last two weeks on Facebook, I was just getting nonstop ads from this company and I had no idea who they were. And it was that company because this Einstein technology was able to detect that I had posted a photo of their t-shirt onto my social media. And then they targeted ads for that company to me. And I think that's really, really interesting from a standpoint of, um, you know, selling selfie spots at an event um, and then that technology being able to detect all the photos of people that people took in that spot and then targeting ads to those people of the sponsor whose name or logo was on that selfie spot at the event. Is it a bot? Is your technology a bot or what do you, what do you think? Um, I mean, in a way, yes, but it is it, it essentially detects and then adds you kind of into their database, um, into their CRM, and then 
you create a customer journey based on that and you start targeting ads at them. Right. Very cool. I want to say hi to Mary from England. Thanks for joining us. It's late there, eh? I, uh, um, we hope you'll listen to the replay to catch to catch the rest. We're we're getting close to wrapping up, um, and so I am going to uh, ask Nick one more question, and then I will close with that my two regular questions. Um, Nick, what's your what are your well, you know what you ask this you answer the same question instead of the other, yeah. What do you think? What are you most excited about in terms of emerging trends? That's a great question. I mean it. I, I love influencer marketing and, and I know it gets, it has like a really, really bad stink on it. Um, and it's been earned that stink, uh, by it being the wild west and, uh, it being, uh, something that is synonymous with Kardashian behavior, um, fair. I, I think what it's, no one's really telling the story of how it can be used in a way that is, uh, holistic. And it, it is in a way that is reputationally sound for everyone. And one of the things that I've been speaking on is the combination of persona marketing and influencer marketing and layering them on top of each other. So you attend an event, for instance, and you have tracks, marketing, sales, and business. But what if those tracks were more less on just dry uh, aspects of business, but more based on psychographic uh, uh, ways to view people like an introvert track or a, uh, you know, a, a networker or whatever. And then the next level is let's humanize that. Let's find somebody within their community that they already identify with and let's have them be the avatar for those personas and speak about what they would do if they were at this show or, or if they were you. Uh, so you can identify with them as a human being. And then that's how you market your event. That's how you, as ambassadors, and, and not just uh, additional Twitter feeds that you buy off, but people who inform the design of your event, people that speak on its behalf because they have affected the, the roadmap of the event, and then people who are at the event as ambassadors for the ways that people actually engage with the event. So. Uh, I'm actually, it's uh, Greg Bogue uh, of Merits uh, has been actually very much in this mindset. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, listen to him and speak uh, on stage with him at uh, E4 this year. And um, they're doing some fascinating work in this area. Um, so yeah, it's uh, make, make splitting your uh, audience and also pairing them up with real people. I like it. So you might have just seen that. I was trying to put it in the comments that we, we've we talked about LinkedIn for events before. And so I just wanted to quickly um, touch on these new geo filters that yeah. LinkedIn is doing. So what do you, uh, Alex, what do you, have you uh, seen this? Have you looked into this? I'm trying to put the link in the thing, but it's kind of not cooperating. Talk to, talk to that. Have you, have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen it. Nick and I have talked about this. Uh, geo filters are great. Um, I, I don't know that anyone cares. Um, they're fun. Um, I, I don't think that anyone's like, dude, you have a geo filter on that photo. I wish I was at that event. Um, all it really does is answer a question. Um, people get as excited about those as they do uh, a photo booth at a show that has the logo of the show printed on your photos. Like, 
it's a cool reminder. Um, but unless you're do something strategic with it, it's, it's really not going to be effective in any strategy. So have you changed your tune from your Snapchat geofilter days? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, or because don't get me wrong. Don't get yes. me wrong. They are a fun engagement strategy. But no one's on. No one's on LinkedIn at an event. Right. Like, well, no that's one. not a single person. No, but that's you can use it leading up to it. So that's why I yeah. wanted to talk about it in terms of event marketing because you can. And one, you can do it on Facebook now too. Uh, Social media marketing world just released theirs, um, and so you can post a picture using the frame to to basically try to get other people to market their show. They're fun and, you know, people will see it. I don't think anyone is making a purchasing decision based on seeing someone's geofilter. Low risk, low reward. I mean, you know, why not? But it's not going to move the dial, right? Here's what is more effective. Um, How many people see memories on Facebook every single day when they log into Facebook? Every single day. So what you should be doing is figuring out a contest to get people to post a photo, like their favorite photo from last year. When you are, if you know your event two years out, what those dates are, plan the contest right around where your early bird deadline is probably going to be. And then do a contest, post your favorite memory from the conference last year, have everyone post it onto Facebook tag you, what have you. So that way, two years or a year from now, when early bird deadline is approaching for that year's conference, that memory will pop up and you're like, that was my favorite memory from two years ago. Oh my God, I love this conference. I wonder if registration is open. That is going to be more effective than seeing some geo filter. That's interesting. I like it. Okay. All right, so we're going to end on, instead of doing two final questions, because we have run longer than I intended, um, I'm going to ask you one. What uh, tool or app are you super pumped about right now, Nick, first? I mean, I, I've been using BeLive uh, a lot. It's actually worked its way into a considerable amount of my strategies in order to populate uh, content calendars for annual events all year round by uh, having further discussions based off of the topics that were brought up at the conference initially, and also creating panels of people who um, wouldn't necessarily be best friends uh, to be able to have them at, uh, like, I, what we're all kind of on the same page, right? So there's the value of this as a an engaging thing is it's good, but if three of us completely disagreed on a lot of things, it would make some good theater. Yeah. So, but but get get three people that don't like aren't best friends or don't really like each other on a panel in person doesn't happen. So I like more debate style uh, as a way to have a point counterpoint uh, for people's strategies at, at events. It's it's a cool way to bring up the hot topics without putting, you know, terrible people in their same room. I totally should have pit you guys against each other. I missed an opportunity. We, <laughs> Alex and I have been talking about this for a while. We, we, we wish, like, we want that kind of we stuff. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page too much. Miguel just joined us. Hi, Miguel. We're about, hey. we're about to talk, but hopefully you listen to the, to the replay. Get, get him on this. Right. Um, uh, what, uh, Alex, what's your, uh, what's your tool du jour? 
I've got two. Uh, one is something I am re-excited about, which is Twitter. And that's because I am in one of the unique few who gets 280 characters right now on Twitter. And I love it. It has, cause I live tweet conferences and I do this for my clients. And um, I, I actually got it while I was at inbound uh, last month in Boston is when it launched. And I was one of the first to get it like day one. And it just changed the game for me for being able to live tweet and share content at the event. So that really excites me. It's not stressful trying to shorten someone's quote or things like that. Um, So that excites me. And I'm excited to see what happens when everybody gets it. Um, So that's number one. Number two uh, is bots. Um, I've never been a huge fan of event apps. I just think they're clunky and they have too many features and they take too long to load. And the information I want to find is always like buried. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what happens with uh, uh, bots for events and just being able to like, hey, what time does the session start? Or what are the sessions that so-and-so is speaking at? And just you know, add this to my calendar. Um, well, bots should hopefully one day they know what you want. And they'll just be exactly. able to- yeah, yeah. I think um, bots are going to ruin the event app industry. <laughs> Sciencio uh, was the winner of the IMEX pitch last week, as Miguel knows. I know he's like tr- trying to maybe get off, but uh, he, uh, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. And I actually have a friend who's talking to them about working there. Um, they're doing some really cool stuff. It's, it's, uh, I think it's so foreign. It's hard for people to wrap their heads around, but if mm-hmm. these, you know, uh, really good job with their content and of sort of explaining it to the, like the lay person, how it's going to benefit them. Um, I think that'll be really, um, will be really good. So, well, I really appreciate you guys, my guests, Alex Plaxon and Nick Borelli for being on talking about event marketing today. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, thanks for checking out making a marketer. This is episode five and our next episode is six where we will be talking to uh, Nicole and Liz who are, to the three planners of the hot Dokimazo uh, conference, which is a unique sort of, you know, very small event. They, they're limiting it to 100 people, 50-50 planners and suppliers. And so um, we're excited to talk to them about uh, that unique approach. They're doing it for the second time this December here in San Diego. So um, uh, I'm excited to parlay this event marketing discussion into that um, and talking about a smaller event and, um, you know, how we can really mix things up and get, get, uh, do some unique things in how we're marketing and trying to um, get people to our events. Cause it's all about, it's all about the attendee, right? Nick. Uh-huh. That's it. No matter what you do, they're at the middle. For sure. So, all right. Thanks again for listening to making a marketer and we will catch you next time. Thanks. Bye.